Thank you for listening to this week's message from Go Church. We hope it encourages you today. For more information about Go Church, check us out online at letsgo.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, my name is Pastor Nick. If you're here for the very first time, welcome to the crowd that didn't have anything to do on fall break weekend. So we are here together, growing God, hang out, learn some things about Jesus, get into this, learn how to be a little bit better in our relationships. So it is so good to see you. Let's do this. Let's put our hands together. Welcome anybody who's here for the first time. Everybody who's watching online. Love you guys. Thank you so much for spending time with us on Sunday. Let me ask you guys a question, very important theological query to get started with today. How many of you have ever met somebody in your life that has the spiritual gift of fault finding? I mean, they're just blessed from the Lord on high. I mean, they are just so good at finding every single little fault. And sometimes it's people that you work with or maybe a neighbor or friend, but it's sometimes, usually I find, it's somebody in the house. You know, somebody in the family. It's somebody that you spend a lot of time with, can be a family member. So in putting this message together... My mind went back to a commercial that I had seen many years ago, but I thought we should play just a bit of it today. Check this out. We love our new home. There's so much space. We have a guest room now. But we have ants. You're slouching again, Ted. Expired. 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 Thanks, Aunt Bonnie. It's a lot of house. I hope you can keep it clean. Oh, Teddy, did you get my friend request? Oh, I'll have to check. Expired. 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 Okay, everybody say expired. Expired. (laughs) That commercial cracks me up. They can find every little fault. How many of you have a family member like that? They can come into the house and you feel like, I've got to clean this for some kind of a show room, show house. Like they're going to come through with the white glove and run their fingers along the baseboards and test and see. And you're scared they're going to find any little thing that is wrong with you or your house because your house represents you. Like ants can be overly critical. Grandparents, easy grandparents. But listen, I'm just going to tell you, sometimes you can be overly critical. You're not the parents that we once knew. You're like, I would never let them do that. Really? Why don't you feed them better? Are they getting enough sleep? I would never let them walk out of the house like that. And then you're like, fine, fine. Why don't you take the little kids for a weekend, right? And then in two hours... Grandma and Grandpa cave, and it's nothing but sugar-tron, nothing but TV, nothing but fun, nothing but zoo. There's no sleep. It's like a frat party for four-year-olds for two days, and then they just give them back to you. Here you go. Everybody has the potential to be critical, to be overly critical, and we have the capacity to overreact sometimes to the people in our life that share their opinions even when they're not warranted or asked for. Now, how many of you would be honest and say, there are times in your life when you can be a little too hard or a little too critical on somebody that you love? Can I see an honest hand in the air? The wives are raising their husband's hands, okay? So, so it is possible for aunts and for uncles and for grandparents, but it's also possible, I know it's really hard to believe, but it is possible for husbands to be overly critical of their wives. I know it's a shocking news. Shocking news I bring you today. 
couple of things online that I found that I thought was pretty funny. Kent said this, I don't understand how God can have 10 commandments for the whole world, but my wife can have 152 just for our house. Boyd said, couples usually have an amount they can spend up to without discussing it with each other. Mine is around $50. My wife's is around $643.27, apparently. We will not ask for any raised hands on that, okay? We want to keep the marriages tight. Troy says this, marriage, and I personally relate to this one. If you've been here any amount of time, you'll know why. Troy said, marriage is mostly about knowing which hand towels you can use and which ones are for the better people who visit your wife's home. (laughs) This is my wife, Becky, up here in the front, if you don't know. But wives, I'm not going to let you off the hook. Okay, I'm not going to let you. The wives can also be overly critical of their husbands sometimes. Husbands, can I get amen? Not too loud. You were smart. (laughs) You thought it. You are like, eh, Amen. He told me to say it. What do you want? Mama Unfiltered said, my husband still talks about that one time he loaded the dishwasher correctly like it's going to get our kids into Harvard. (laughs) Becky. Halsey wife said, sorry, I was late because I had to find all the things that were in plain sight for my husband. And finally, Sarah said, my husband is homesick from work today and it's like having 1,000 babies. 1,000 babies. That's kind of true. I heard something the other day that said God gave the responsibility for women to bear the children and to go through childbirth so they would know what it's like for their husband to have the flu. (laughs) That's probably not true. I just heard it. So look, here's the deal. We all have the capacity to be overly critical, don't we? We all can do it. Maybe you have done it. We've pointed the finger a lot more than you've pointed the thumb back at yourself. Sometimes you are a natural leader. And what seems to be critical from everybody else's perspective about you is just you being you. Like some of you can walk into this room and you're already like, really, Pastor Nick, really? You got pleats in your pants? I mean, I really? Is what you're doing? You're going back to 1996? I am. I'm pulling them off today. I don't care what you say. I'm rocking them. Pleats and all. But you go into a room and you're like, I would change this, I would do that. You go into a restaurant. It's like, man, I would change this, do that. I wouldn't have the menus like this. I would turn the temperature up. This music stinks. I would put somebody over here. And it's just you're naturally looking to improve things, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But we can cross the line and bring that into relationships. And then we become not just a person who observes. We can become a person who annoys, And we don't want to be like that. So today, I want us to figure out how can we live with, how can we love, how can we minister to the people in our life that are overly critical. So grab your communication card and write this down right across the top. Flip it over right across the top. Looks like this. Write this down. I'll show one big thought for today. I will not be driven. Everybody say driven. I will not be driven by emotions. I will be led by the Spirit. Now, notice my word choice. I didn't say I will not feel emotions. I didn't say I won't acknowledge emotions. I will not be driven by emotions. But I want us to have a moment to acknowledge how important and godly, I think, emotions are. 
The Bible teaches us very clearly that God created us in his image. So if you're here today and you're a human, no cyborgs, it doesn't apply to you. AI doesn't apply to you. But if you're here today and you're a human, you were created in God's image. All of you, including your emotions. Are you like, Pastor Nick, you're saying God has emotions? Yes. You read through the Bible, you can absolutely see God being happy about things, God grieving certain things, God being pleased with certain things. In Jesus' life when he was here on earth, you would see him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John get happy about something, frustrated about something. He got angry. He grieved. There were times where he was full of joy and all the little kids just want to be around Jesus. Kids don't want to be around people who are mean or upset or mad all the time. I think Jesus was happy a lot of the time. I think Jesus was funny. I do. Jesus displayed a wide variety of emotions. So having emotions, feeling emotions... It's not a bad thing. It's a God thing. But we have to learn how to not be driven by emotions, but how to be led by the Spirit. So how can we be alive in emotion, but also be led by the Spirit? Author Peter Scazzaro writes this in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. To feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of God. To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God. Others and ourselves well. Why? Because our feelings are a component of what it means to be made in the image of God. To cut them out of our spirituality is to slice off an essential part of our humanity. So how can we learn how to navigate our emotions to fully feel, but that doesn't mean we always fully react. There's a difference between responding and reacting. So when you are feeling emotions, and let's say it's hot. I mean, let's say it's primal. Let's say your feeling is strong. Are you more of a reactor and then an apologizer, hopefully? Or are you more of a, I'm going to respond here. I'm not just going to react. That comes with time. That comes with maturity. That comes with experience. We're not all naturally good at this from day one. So think about your own self today. Are you more of a reactor or a responder? And what does that say about your relationship with Jesus? I thought about this and I wrote it down. I want you to write this down. Just like a little bonus, a little bonus point. If you write this down, you get a little bit of horchata after our experience today. I kid you not. Write this down. A mature believer can be alive with emotion, but led by the Spirit. I want us to think about emotions as a way to fully be alive. I mean, this is how you feel life. And sometimes the emotions are great and sometimes they're terribly sad, but none of them are evil. 
Just how are you responding? How are you reacting? Augustine wrote this in Confessions in 400 AD. How can you draw close to God when you are far away from your own self? He prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Is it possible, I raise this question to you today respectfully, is it possible, listen to me students, to be a Christian adult, but an emotional infant? Older people in the house, is it possible for you to follow Jesus 15, 20, 25, 30 years but be emotionally immature. If you are, what could that mean? Last quote by Peter Scazzaro. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's a challenging thing to think about. Giving our emotions and the way that we lead ourselves and the way that we respond, the way that we react with our emotions, so much weight and seriousness. Sometimes we use emotions like a curse word, right? Husbands, have you ever said this? You're just being too emotional. I saw some heads go down. They were like, "Mm, I have. And we use emotions like, Some person has lost their ever-loving mind. And it is completely evil and out of whack for you to feel the things that you're feeling. It's not evil to feel it, but it takes a maturity to know how to channel it. How to respond with it. Not to dull it. Not to say, I shouldn't feel this. I shouldn't feel mad. I shouldn't feel upset. Sometimes the greatest strength that you can display is self-control. Sometimes it's not the loudest voice, it's the quietest voice of the person who has the real power in the room. There's great wisdom in restraint. Can we do it? So I want us to grow in this today. I want us to get an idea of what it means, because as Christians and as leaders and as followers of Jesus, we are going to experience criticism. The reason why we spend so much time on emotions is because we're going to feel them. When we are criticized, we're going to feel things. How are we going to respond? Jesus said, when you are persecuted, not if. If you have never been persecuted for your faith, maybe you... Never mind. Aristotle said this, to avoid criticism, do nothing. Say nothing. Be nothing. And you can be safe. So how will we respond? I want to give you three ways today. Three practical ways. Now I encourage you to memorize these ways. Because you can respond to criticism in a lot of different ways. But it would be good to have these three in here. These three in here. So at least you have to go through these three filters before you get to any other response when somebody's bringing criticism. Here's the first one. Write it down. Often, how do you respond? Often, you don't. Often, you don't. Not every criticism deserves 
a rebuttal. But raise your hand with me if you dare, if this is hard for you. I'm up. I'm not naturally a passive person. I want to get after it. I want to debate it. I want to argue and win. I'd rather fight than be quiet. That's just how I naturally am. So this is hard for me. Not responding is hard. 1 Peter 2.23 says this about Jesus. When they hurled insults at him. Now remember, Jesus was perfect. They hurled insults at him, the perfect one. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus was living for an audience of one, his father. He knew that he was not going to be judged for carrying out anybody else's will. He wasn't going to stand before any of his disciples at the end of his life. And neither are we. We're not going to stand before our critics at the end of our life. There's not going to be a panel of them voting on if we should get into heaven or not. They're not going to be there. Your family's not going to be there. Your friends are not going to be there. The people at work that you can't stand, they're probably going to the other place, actually. I'm just playing. I hope not. (laughs) You're not going to stand before them. You're going to stand before an almighty, holy God. And that's who you're going to give an account to. So I like this idea He entrusted himself to him who judges justly, putting some things in the hands of God. And saying, God, you know best? I'm not going to react. I'm not taking the bait. I'm not going to do it. But it's hard to do. There are times when Jesus responded to criticism, and there are times when he was quiet. But this raises a question that I want you to write down to think about. Are you willing to do nothing Are you? Can you do nothing? Do you have the fortitude of soul and character when that person says something and you just want to bah? Just say nothing. Just continue on. That takes a lot of self-discipline. It takes a lot of confidence in what God's called you to do. Takes a lot of confidence in who you are in God, who He's created you to be. Not every criticism needs a response. Now, look, I've been criticized. I've been criticized. I've worn pleated pants in front of people that made fun of me before. I wear them on. <laughs> I used to wear cowboy boots in college when I wasn't cool. I got made fun of. I didn't care. Like, these are my grandpa's black ostrich cowboy boots, and I'm going to wear it, and I don't care if you like it or not. There have been times in my life where I've been criticized for my speaking style, not being articulate enough, being too much of a storyteller, not enough of a content guy. I've literally had people leave Go Church because of what I've worn on a Sunday morning. I literally had a guy write me a note that said, I can't believe you dress the way you do in church. It's so unprofessional. And I'm telling you, that Sunday morning, I remember what I had on because of the note. I was wearing a very cute, I must say, hunter's vest with a very nice vintage zipper, and I liked the look. 
He's like, it's, it's not religious enough. It's not professional enough. I'm not going to come back. So I've had people criticize, you know, the way I look or the way I speak or the way that Go Church is. Now, I'm the pastor of Go Church. So if somebody complains about Go Church, it feels personal to me. So they're like, the worship is just too loud. And then other people, the worship is not loud enough. Some people are like, you know, the music is so long. It's such a big percentage of the day. And then other people are like, are we going to ever have an extended time of worship? Are we ever going to have anything spontaneous and spiritual? Back in COVID times. You know we should not be doing anything right now in person. You know that, right? And then other people, where's your faith? You haven't been meeting this entire time? I thought you loved Jesus. I mean, it's like you can't win sometimes. We had a guy leave a, we have a bunch of five-star reviews. I would encourage you to go on to Google, check it out. If you're going to leave one, leave a good one. (laughs) Some guy left, he visited one time, and he left a one-star review. And then I tracked him down. No, I'm just playing. (laughs) I'm trying to remember what he said. He said, this church focuses too much on young married people and families. They should have more things for single adults. And I'm like, bro, have you seen where we live? 90% of people here are young families with kids, and I I love the single adults. They're single, ready to mingle. I'm nothing against them. I want to help them, but come on. I didn't do it, but I wanted to. I'm telling you, I wanted to write a message, but I didn't. Sometimes there are areas in your life you got to just take it, not do anything about it, and be led by the Spirit. What are the things in your life that you're responding to that you shouldn't? That you shouldn't. Let God shine down on you a little bit. Be like, oh, I probably could have just let that one go. That one time the guy honked at me in traffic, and I certainly did not let him go. And I certainly made my one strong point. Maybe I should have just let that go. Number two, you write this down. Sometimes you respond carefully. Matthew 9.10, I want you to pay attention to this verse. It's interesting. And I don't want my IRS people here to feel bad, okay? You'll, you'll figure it out here in a minute. Later, Jesus and his disciples were having dinner at Matthew's house. Very communal dinner and food together. Back then, it was a very personal, opening up your life family experience. Many tax collectors and other sinners. So I'm sorry, IRS people, you're just lumped in with the sinners. It's like IRS plus all the other sinners. So back then, in this time, tax collectors were notorious for ripping people off for their own good, their own being. And people hated tax collectors. It was like tax collectors equal evil and... I am not pro-taxes. I want the government to have every legal, every legal cent that they should have, but not a cent more. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Many tax collectors and other sinners were also there. Some Pharisees, now students, Pharisee is like a professional religious person. They're like a teacher. They know all this stuff. So some Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and other sinners? Well, Jesus heard them and answered. It probably took the, the Pharisees by surprise a little bit. It was almost like maybe they're on the side, and they're like, hey, Peter, John, why, why does your teacher eat with all these sinners and tax collectors and, and all this? And they were probably surprised when Jesus was like, hey, uh, what? 
Uh, yeah, about that. So Jesus speaks up. And Jesus says this. Healthy people don't need a doctor. But sick people do. Go and learn what the scriptures mean when they say, instead of offering sacrifices to me, I want you to be merciful to others. I didn't come to invite good people to be my followers. I came to invite sinners. And can I just say, that makes me so encouraged because I can relate to that. I can. Jesus came for the sick. He came for the weak. He came to restore. He came to heal. And I'm so glad because I am right in that group. I am not a part of the perfect group. I'm a part of the sinner group. And I'm telling you, where sin abounds, God's grace abounds all the more. And his love is amazing. Do you believe that, Go Church? Here you can see it. Jesus is like, I'm not coming for people who think they're perfect. The sick need a doctor. So what's Jesus doing here? Remember, we're trying to figure out how do we respond to critics. They were criticizing what he was doing, right? So what is Jesus doing here? He gives them perspective. He zooms out. Because what did the people ask? They said, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? What's up with this? That's what they were asking. What? What? But they were wondering why. Why are you doing this? So Jesus tells them the why behind the what of what he was doing. The reason why I'm eating with them is because they need to be healed. And this is what I came to do. Oh, well, that's a little different, I guess. Like, for example, let's say that you are 32. Let's say you're married. Let's say you've had a couple of young kids and you've always had this thing in you that you wanted to, to go back to school and you wanted to pursue additional education. But it was hard with kids. It was hard with life. And all this stuff is hard. I'm telling you, man, if you're going to get all the education, do it pre-biological children and all of that stuff. Do it before. It's easier. But you're thinking, I want to go back. I just really feel like I need to go back. I want to go back. And the people in your life find out about this, and they're like, why are you wanting to do higher education? I mean, you got, besides you're married, and in this scenario, I'm just going to go ahead and make it so that money's not a big deal. Let's say the husband has got fat cash. Like, you don't need the money. Well, where are you going to go back? That's going to be so hard. I mean, you don't need the money. Your, your kids are in school. Well, now's the time to live it up. Why don't you, you know, go do other things that are just fun? Why do you want to do that? That sounds dumb. So what if that person who's 32 years old, and the mom says, well, you know, I know it sounds a little crazy, but, I mean, ever since, I mean, for the last 10 years, I've always wanted to be a nurse. And I just... We had kids early. I'd never really had a chance. I didn't think I could do it. But I figured out that if I wait for everything to be perfect to try something, it's never going to happen. And they're in school, and I'm going to go for it because I want to help people. I want to be there for people when they're in a tough situation. And then if you're the critic then, you're like, well, I guess people need help. I'll be praying for you. That's, That's good. They know the why behind the what. 
If your kid comes to you and they have an idea of, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to get this job, or I want to go to school over here, I want to do this major, don't just flip out and go ultimate critical mode of every little idea they have. Ask them why. Why do you want to do that? And you might be surprised. Maybe they thought it through more than you thought. Maybe they have a presentation they want to give. Maybe they have some really good reasons. The people in your life who are like, why do you keep going to church? People don't do that. You go like for Christmas, you know, Easter. That's when you go and you put on the scratchy shirt and you dress your kids up like little bankers and you go and you take the pictures. You go to brunch or lunch or whatever it is you do. That's what you You're going back. You just went last week. Are you some kind of fanatical person? And you say, well, this is why, man. Like, when I go, I feel the presence of God, and I'm learning things I've never learned before out of the Bible, ancient scriptures. I'm meeting other people that this is also important in their life. I'm building my network, my community, people that are praying for me. Just last week, I was in a small group, and then we exchanged a name and a phone number, and we wrote down a prayer request, and I'm praying for Julian this week. Oh, this kind of stuff's happening because I go to church. It makes a big difference in my kids' lives. They're learning about love and peace and patience and all these things. And then they're like, well, I do too. (laughs) They're like, oh, okay, I can see it. So if you give some of your critics some perspective, a little why behind the what of what you're doing, it might help them understand. And just remember today that some people are being critical just because they're hurt. They just got a wound and they're feeling pain or maybe the thing that you want to do is the thing that they used to want to do, but they gave up on it. And it's just, it's hard for them to see you do what they'd wanted to do or they're hurt and just, they hurt other people because that's what hurt people do. So I want to encourage you have some wisdom about those kind of people in your life. Here's the last one. Occasionally you listen and you make a change. This is when you look into the mirror. Proverbs 15, 31 through 32 says this. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. All of my godly ladies in the house. If everybody that loves you, everybody that you respect Everybody that you know would do anything for you says, you are dating a dummy. We all have voted, and he's been voted off the island. He's the devil. You need to break up with him. Maybe you should just take a step back and say, hmm, maybe not all of the people that care about me in my life are wrong. You need to find a guy who loves God first and you second. You never want to date a guy or a woman who loves you first. God first, you second. Things come after that. Sometimes you got to be open to listening and open to make a change. Uh, This has happened to me and it's hard, especially when you're opinionated. I'm opinionated and I get defensive fast. I have to... Force myself, remind myself, be teachable, be soft, don't be a jerk, listen, breathe, 
learn something. Don't be dumb. I have to remind myself of these things. When Becky and I first got married, we came out of the University of Oklahoma. We went into some graduate studies, theological studies. A part of that was a practicum, like an internship. And we were in this class called Preaching Lab, Laboratory Preaching. We were not preaching to like lab rats. <laughs> we were preaching to each other, but we're preaching full-blown messages to a room of like four or five people. And our teacher was in there. And we drew straws. I had to go first, and I didn't know what to do with a small little group like this. It was weird, so I just went for it. And I'm like, well, I'm, we're just going all in. So I went all in. And at the very end of it, Glenn, who was my instructor, he is at Stanford now. He was like, you know, it's a good message, Nick. Good message. But it was a little, it sounded a little churchy. And remember, you know, your target audience here is college students, many of whom have never been to church. So because sometimes when you get excited, you say words like, you draw it out. You're like, Jesus, <laughs> like that. You might want to just keep a check on that. I'm like, oh, that's received. But what Glenn did not know was that I grew up in a Pentecostal church with a pastor from Puerto Rico so in nombre de Jesus, he would get excited, he would roll the R's, he would have energy, he'd have all of that stuff. And, and I listened, though, and I tried to dial it down a little bit. But sometimes it just comes out. You have to be willing to accept some criticism in your life because you're not perfect. And usually the people who are giving you criticism are already nervous because they don't want to hurt your feelings. And they're trying to do it because they love you. Don't kill them for loving you. So what do we do about this? Write this down. Here's our one big action. The thing that I'm asking you to do starting today is this. I will always test my heart. This is when we test ourselves to make sure that we're not being the people that we despise. That we're not being hypocrites. Blaming everybody else but excusing ourselves. Accusing everyone else but excusing ourselves. I will always test my heart. Proverbs 12, 18, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. So if you're going to bring constructive, loving criticism, if you're going to receive it, think about how your words are as objects. So when your words go out to people, do they cut them? Are your words like a scalpel? They cut, they cut deep and they cut hard. Just, you cut people a lot. They leave conversations with you feeling injured. Feeling hurt, feeling bruised, feeling jumped on a lot. Or do your words come out like band-aids? Where when you speak, it brings healing. See, what Jesus did in that story that we read is that he gave the truth in love. And if all we do is give truth, it's like a nuclear bomb. It just, it blows people apart. They can't deal with it. If it's just truth, 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 and no love, it's a bomb that just goes off and there's just hurt and destruction. But if all you do is give love, and say, oh, you don't ever have to change, just accept how you are and how you feel is all perfect, then they never have enough truth to change, to reflect the truth of God. So the spirit-led balance is both truth in love. So I want you to think about yourself today and the way that you speak to other people. Is it coming out like 
scalpels? Is it coming out like band-aids? Are you, are you giving criticism? But they know, they know you're giving it out of love. They know. And the people in your life that are overly critical, think about these things. View them with an eye of mercy first. Maybe they're going through some stuff themselves and they're just taking it out on me. Maybe I'm trying to do something that they failed at and it just reminds them of a failure and it's hard. Maybe they're just hurt and they need somebody to listen to them. You say, wow, it sounds like this is really emotional or or powerful. It makes you think about something. Is there something that's happened with this in your own life? Maybe you talk. I want us to be alive in emotions, but led by the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we come to you today. We want to be soft clay in your hands. We want to be your children. We want to learn from you. You're our Father. You're our healer. You're our Savior. You're everything to us. So everybody who's here, you're a follower of Jesus. I want you to imagine in this moment, just imagine that God starts to do a work in your heart. Your words over the next month, two months, 90 days. They turn away from the scalpel and they turn into the Band-Aid. Your words are like antibiotics to the illness in a relationship or in a heart. You radiate out healing. Does that mean that you don't bring hard truth? No, no, never. But the other person knows that you are bringing so much love in the delivery of your truth, they can accept it and know that you're not hating on them. Not are you convinced, are they convinced you have enough love for that? God, help us. Jesus, help us to be like you, to live like you, to be like you, to be able to do truth in love, to love people, to bring criticism, to receive it, knowing that it's for our good. God, help us to have self-control when there's times that we need to just be silent and be so hard to offend. God, help us to have a thick skin and a soft heart. Listen to me. Maybe today's the first time you've come into church in a long time. I am so proud of you for coming today. Maybe you've never come to church. I am so proud that you are here today. Maybe you're watching today, and it's the first time that you've taken time in so long to hear the Word of God, to think about Jesus, to feel worship. I am so proud of you, and I want everyone in this room to know this. There is nobody that will ever love you more than God loves you right now. There's nothing that you can do that will ever make him love you more. He loves you the most he's ever going to love you right now, no matter what you're doing in your life. If you're away from him, if you're apart from him, I want you to hear the heart of Jesus. He didn't come for the religious perfect. He came for somebody just like me, maybe just like you, somebody who has the hurt and the pain of sin in their life, somebody who's made decisions that have hurt the heart of God, somebody that's blown it, that's lost their temper, that's wrecked a relationship. Jesus came for you. And today is an opportunity, the time, the place right here, right now for you to say, Jesus, I feel you. Jesus, I know your spirit is here, and I want to respond. I'm done living my life my own way. I want to live for you. 
How can we do this? The Bible says that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if we will believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Not kind of, not might, not coulda, woulda, but will be saved. And I want to give you that opportunity today to start a relationship, to come back, to start it for the first time with Jesus Christ. And if you want to make him the Lord and the leader of your life, I want you to pray this out loud today. Pray it with me. Jesus, thank you for speaking to my heart. I ask that you would forgive me of every sin. I'm making you the Lord and the leader of my life. I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. To stay in the know with Go Church, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at letsgo.church. You can also download our app from the App Store by searching Go Church. Have a great week and God bless.